know, when it comes to relationships, whether it's dating or, or marriage, I, I wonder how many of you would admit that you are with a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a spouse that is different than you. I would bet probably all of us would say, yeah, that's me. Because you, you've heard the saying, opposites attract, right? The very thing that drew you to him or to her was that they were different than you. And, and those differences kind of drew you into a relationship with them. And although that saying is, is very true, the things that are, are different in, the, in our significant others or our spouses draw us, opposites can also often attack. The very thing that drew you to them can be the very same thing over the course of a relationship that drives you crazy, that brings conflict into your relationship. You know, when I think about my marriage and I think about Ashley and I, the truth is, is if you know us, we're pretty different. I mean, my wife is a doer and I'm a dreamer. While Ashley's getting things done, I'm in fantasy land dreaming of the future. Ashley often stops and smells the roses while I'm too busy running them over. Late at night when Ashley and I are, are in bed, she wants to have a conversation and well, I wanna, never mind actually. <laughs> but the biggest difference between Ashley and I is I'm a planner and she's more spontaneous. And this difference can oftentimes cause some conflict in our relationship. In fact, one weekend we were planning to go to my parents' lake house. It was a beautiful Rochester day and we were headed up there to spend some time with them, the sun and, and some lake water. And you know, as we're driving there, I'm a planner. And so the plan is to, to go to the lake house to get there as fast as we can, to have as much time to experience our family and the lake. Now, as we're driving, Ashley's more kind of adventurous and spontaneous, and so as she begins to see signs for yard sales and flower shops, she's, she's kind of like, Drew, we should stop there and, and there, and we, we should do this and that. I'm like, hold on a second. The plan was to go to the lake. And honestly, I'm ashamed to admit this, and I didn't ask my wife for permission to share this, but we ended up turning around and going home because we got so mad at each other. <laughs> Congratulations, that's your pastor. But the truth is, in relationships, we're gonna encounter in marriages and all kinds of relationships, differences. And there's two things I want us to understand about our differences up front. The very first thing is that God uses our differences to enhance and strengthen our relationships. Isn't this amazing about God that he created us differently? I mean, you look around our, our world and our city and, and just your home, you will recognize that we think differently, we look differently. And God did that on purpose. It wasn't by accident. It was so those differences could actually grow us and strengthen us in our relationships. You know what's interesting about differences? I think one of the problems with what we're facing as a community right now is because we've forgotten to listen to people who think differently than us who have different perspectives, who look differently than us. And when we lose that, we lose a God-given gift to strengthen our, our thought process through our relationships. But the second thing we have to understand about differences is the enemy wants to use your differences to divide you. And, and honestly, if we were ever gonna know this is true, it's probably right now. Because that's exactly what is happening in our country, our community, in our city. 
is the enemy has wedged a gap between people who look differently. It's divided us. The very differences that we should celebrate that God created with a specific purpose to strengthen and enhance our relationships, the enemy has tricked us and abused us, and now he's divided us. And today we're going to talk about that in the context of marriage. And if you got your Bibles, I'd encourage you to jump to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 2 throughout this series. And, you know, we started this series last week called Protecting the Promise. And it's a series on marriage and how we can fight for the things, the promises, the vows that we made on that wedding day. And last week we talked about the, the promise of of priority, keeping God first and our spouse second. And today we're going to talk about the promise of partnership. You see, what you have to realize is when you said those words, I do, and you walked down that aisle on your wedding day, you entered into a partnership. And the promise of partnership is this. It's I promise our marriage will be about we, not me. You see, if you're single today and you're listening and you're thinking about a future marriage, one thing you have to understand is one of the most unselfish things you can actually do as a single person is get married. Because on your wedding day, what you are saying is, hey, my life is no longer about me and my desires. I actually have to put somebody else's desires before mine because you enter in to a partnership. In fact, God talks about this at the very first marriage in Genesis chapter 2. The very same verse we looked at last week, he says this. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. And last week we, we zoomed into that word leaves. That Hebrew word, root word for that word is, is talking about leaving the priority off of mom and dad and shifting it to your spouse. And when you do that, what happens is the Bible says you are united as one. And, and the Hebrew word for united here is the word ekod. And what it means is to be completely joined together, completely united as one. See, that's exactly what happens in marriage is when you decide to get married, you take two individuals and God joins them together, you and, and your spouse, together as one unit, one family, a partnership. And what's interesting about Genesis chapter two is when Jesus came to the earth, he actually quoted this very same verse, but what's interesting is he added a little bit to it. Look at Matthew chapter 19 with me. He says this, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now here God says some pretty strong words. Jesus says right here, he says, what I join in partnership in marriage, let nobody separate. And yet I realize that, man, right now there's a wide variety of people listening, and, and maybe some of you listening have, have been through a divorce. And what I don't want to do today is make you feel guilty about past choices, but what I really want to do is actually build a foundation for future marriages. And I think when it comes to this idea of a partnership, this idea of being united as one, I just don't think we understand what marriage is. And if you're single, here's what you have to understand. And if you're married, here's what we should have understand and we need to understand now is that marriage is not a contract. It's a covenant before a holy 
God. We have to understand these two things, a contract and a covenant, are very different. And the way and the mentality that we approach marriage is really important from God's perspective. Now let's talk about the two differences. You see, a, a contract, a contract is built on mutual distrust. You see, we use contracts in, in our culture and our society all the time. I think of one thing in specific is, you know, renting or buying a house. We use a contract, it's very wise, it's very smart, but the essence of that contract is built on the fact that this person doesn't trust this person based off of their word. And so we write up a contract because at the end of the day, I don't believe you will pay this amount unless it's binding by a contract because a contract is built on distrust. I don't believe you'll come through unless you put it down in writing. And yet that's not the way God designed marriage to be at all. To be built on, on distrust, that's why marriage is a covenant. Because a covenant is based on mutual commitment. It's two individuals coming together before a holy God and in making a covenant of commitment, saying, I will be with you till death does part us. And what's interesting is if you go back to like Jewish times, Right, Early Jewish people, when they got married, part of the ceremony was a priest would take the, the bride and the groom's hands and he would cut them slightly until blood would come out and he would join their hands together and he would tie a rope around their hands because it was this symbol, this picture of two lives being united as one. And after the ceremony, the, the, the couple would go to the honeymoon. Two virgins would come together, they would make love, and there would be a shedding of blood in that experience that was tied to the covenant. Now, I know that might be a little bit of TMI, but what's interesting is that's why God reserves the gift of lovemaking or sex for marriage only. Why? Because it's a part of the covenant you make to your spouse. And I get it, right? This is a little bit strange. This is antiquated in our culture and in old fashioned, but here's what you have to understand is if you want God's best in your marriage, you have to take God's path for marriage. You know, I, I do some counseling uh, at our church and, and I always find it funny that people in marriage want God to bless their marriage, but they have no, no concept of, of taking God's path. They have no reason to take God's path. They just want to do it on their own, but yet they still want God's blessing in their marriage. They want to pave their own way, but yet they still want God's blessing. And if you're married today, here's what you got to know is if you want God's blessing, you got to follow God's design and God's path for marriage. And man, if you're single today, here, here's the problem with many single individuals is what we like to do is we like to bring into our dating relationships things that are reserved only for marriage. Many singles today in relationships, they move in together, they have sex together, and what often happens is when that relationship doesn't work out, what do we do? We pack our bags and we leave. And ultimately, all that is is you're practicing divorce. 
You're practicing things that don't honor God. And and here's, here's the result of that. Over the course of relationship after relationship, that builds up scars in your heart. And those scars keep you from experiencing a covenantal love that God designed for marriage. So the question is, is what is involved in this partnership? What makes a covenantal partnership from God's perspective? Well, I think it's really two important things. Godly leadership and mutual submission. What makes your marriage successful and a covenant partnership is godly leadership and mutual submission. Now, anytime you use that S word when you're talking about marriage, people go crazy, man, because we don't understand it and and many times it's been abused. But when that word submission was used first when talking about marriage, the apostle Paul actually uses it In a surprising way first, look what he says in Ephesians chapter five. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the very first time in in the context of marriage that the apostle Paul says submit is to both a husband and a wife to submit to each other out of reverence, out of respect for God's calling in your life. It's interesting, right? Like, he's saying, hey, this is what he's saying. Hey, I promise that this marriage won't be about just my needs and and my desires, but it will be about us mutually submitting together. Now, here's here's where problems arise in in relationships is because most relationships are are filled with a passive personality and a dominant personality. (laughs) I wonder, actually, in your relationship, which one are you? Or, 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 you know, think of you as a single. Are you more dominant or, or passive? And if you have to ask questions on which you are, you're probably the passive personality. And what often happens in relationships is the dominant personality can trump and override a passive person on the regular and, 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 and honestly break up that idea of mutual submission. And honestly, man, in, in the context of my marriage, can I tell you how stupid I would be? Not to submit to my wife in the areas God has gifted her and given her abilities better than mine. As a husband, I have to learn to submit to her in in the areas that that God has gifted her. And and Ashley would say the same thing for me. She would be be dumb not to submit to my leadership in the areas that, that God has gifted me. You know, when I think about our church staff, one of the, uh, our HR departments, one of the kind of rules that we have when we hire a full-time employee is I, as the lead pastor, have to sit down and have an interview with that person before they can be hired. And almost always, I will ask my wife to be a part of that interview because God has gifted her in areas that he hasn't me and she has this ability to discern things about people that I could never do. We have to learn that, that, that this partnership means mutual submission, but secondly, it also means godly leadership. And the Apostle Paul later in Ephesians 5 establishes roles in the leadership change, uh, chain of the family. And before I read this verse, can we all just like, let's just take a breath. It's going to be okay. Look what he says. He says, wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. What the Apostle Paul does here is he establishes godly leadership in the home. I mean, I get that this is a hard verse to deal with. There's landmines everywhere. And so I'm actually not going to teach on this verse. 
I'm gonna allow someone who's smarter than me to kind of talk about it. That's my beautiful bride. Check this out. So everybody's probably flipping out right now. And when Drew and I were engaged, I probably was flipping out, right? When I, every, anybody wanted to talk about this. Um, I grew up in a house with three girls. He grew up in a house with three boys. It was my dad, we were all my dad's princesses. So this was kind of a foreign word to me, even though I was going to church and involved in church when I met Drew. Um, but after I got married, it wasn't as scary of a word because I realized that for us, this was us mutually deciding before an argument ever came up that we wanted to put each other's desires in front of our own. And that was him submitting to me and me submitting to him and both of us submitting to God. And then it didn't, then it wasn't as scary because we were doing it and, and, and there was never going to be a time where somebody was just like, all right, that's it. You have to make the call and I'll be mad. That never actually really happened. It was more like, I want to genuinely know what you want to do and you want to genuinely know what I want to do. And together we're going to make it work. I would say leading and submitting to each other. That's a great way to put it because through submitting to each other, especially in front of our kids now, we are leading them in into the right framework when it comes to their future marriages. And I would say that that's all about respect. And submission and leadership and respect is all kind of one blob because if I'm respecting him, he's going to want me to help lead. And if if he's submitting to me, I'm going to want to respect him. And so it's kind of all tangled up together. And so I think that the answer to that would just be respect. And if you, in my mind, I try to mentally put myself back in my, like take a step back in my head and think, okay, in this situation right now, or in this argument right now, is Drew really intentionally trying to disrespect me? The enemy wants me to think that way. And maybe the enemy wants Drew to think that way about me. So for me, I have to kind of quiet myself down, take a minute and think, okay, are we really trying to intentionally disrespect each other in this moment? And if I think about that, then I want to lean the other way, fight against whatever Satan's trying to do right there and respect him. And then that can center us back into a place where we're leading each other again. So in engagement counseling, our pastor actually asked us, do y'all disagree? And thinking it was like a trick question, you kind of feel like you want to say no, but he actually went on to say that if we didn't disagree, he didn't really want to proceed with marrying us because everybody disagrees. And we all know that in any depth of a relationship, disagreement, if there's any depth to a relationship, disagreements definitely happen. So Drew and I do disagree. And when we disagree, uh, we've actually realized through 13 years of marriage, there's never been a time when Drew had to be like, all right, that's it. I'm the dude. I guess I'm going to make the call. Since you hate this call, I'm just going to make it and you're going to have to take it. That's never actually really happened because most of your decisions, you don't have to make in a really quick moment. Some of them you do, but I think the, the ticket for us has been like to give it time to sleep on it to talk about it the next morning. And so there's a lot of communication involved. What are you feeling? What are you feeling that you don't want to tell me? And so we've a lot, a lot, a lot of communicating. And we've gotten better at that over the years, but I think praying through it, communicating it, and realizing that you probably have more time than you even think you do to make that decision. Somebody doesn't have to just pull up their bootstraps and say, that's it. I think I know what's better, so I'm gonna make this decision. In real life, that rarely happens. You usually have time to really pray through it and come to an agreement.
Man, I'm so, again, thankful for my wife and the partnership that we have in marriage and the wisdom and the leadership that she brings to our family. And yet again, baby, I absolutely love you and I'm grateful for our marriage. And, you know, maybe you're a husband today and, you know, you're fighting this battle of, man, my wife won't follow me and, and you're, you've been blaming her for a while. And here's what I would challenge you as a husband is I believe if you give your wife a godly example of what real leadership looks like, she will follow you and she will respect you. So the question we have is where do we go from here? Whether our marriage is really healthy right now or whether it's struggling. And just like last week, as we have to protect our priorities, I would challenge us today to protect our partnerships to learn to protect the partnerships that God has given us together in this unified one family. You know, the, the other day I had a chance to, to look at some photo albums in, in our house. It's been a kind of a unique season for our family. We've had a lot of pictures around and you know, a lot of nights we've just been looking and reminiscing and one of the albums I brought out was our wedding album. <laughs> and we shared a lot of good laughs of like, man, why did we pick those things and you know it's always frustrating for me looking back at pictures and recognizing Ashley looks so good and I just don't and I'm starting to realize why so many people ask me like how did you get her and the truth is honestly it's the grace of God he still does miracles <laughs> but you know after 13 years of marriage Ashley and I just celebrated our 13th year May 19th and looking back at those first days of our marriage you know, I'm really excited to know that we're still on the path of a healthy and kind and good marriage. It's what we wanted to have. And, you know, I get it. This is the part where you, you look at me and, and you say, well, Drew, Pastor Drew, I, I'm really happy for you. But you don't know my circumstance, and, and it's cool. Like, you can just live in your pastor bubble with your perfect wife and your perfect kids. And I get why you might say that, but you know, right now I'm, I'm gonna get a little bit in your business because I can promise you, Ashley and I are just as busy as you are. I can promise you that Satan attacks us just as much as he attacks you. I can promise you that my flesh and her flesh is just as weak as yours. I can promise you that we have made mistakes. We have hurt each other. We have let each other down. I can promise you that we've dealt with drama. We've, we've faced health issues. Heck, I've almost died three times in our marriage. Honestly, Ashley's probably tired of taking care of me. We've dealt with family drama. Suicides in our family. Death that have brought pain and tears. We have serious expectations for each other. But I'm proud to stand here today and say, Ashley and I have a very healthy marriage. And it's not because I'm a pastor. It's because we have made a decision to put God in his rightful place as number one and our spouses as number two. We have made a decision that we will fight for each other, that we will work at this, and when it gets hard, we're not gonna give up, we're gonna dig down, and we're gonna fight even harder. And I say all of that to say this to you. Your marriage will be as good as both of you decide it will be. 
It's a conscious choice as a husband and a wife to say, man, when we're in the trenches and when we're on the mountain peak, we will work at this and we will fight for this. I get it, it's hard. And I know even in this statement, there can be some tension for some people because right now you're in a marriage where you are all in and yet your spouse isn't. Or maybe you are a Christ follower and your husband or your wife isn't. And that brings some very hard tensions in your relationship. That brings some very hard realities that you must face. And here's my challenge to all of us as we view to protect the partnerships, is that we would choose a covenantal love, not a contractual experience that we would recognize that marriage is a covenant before God of commitment, not built on mutual distrust. It's 100% of you all the time. And most of the time you won't feel like it. Most of the time you won't feel like loving. Most of the time you won't feel like forgiving. Most of the time you won't feel like working at it. And we just have to recognize our feelings lie to us. They lead us in directions that don't honor God. And I would challenge all of us to get over our stupid feelings. Stop making decisions based off of how you feel and start making your decisions rooted in what God has for you, the path he has designed for you. No other area in life can you get away with this statement. I just don't feel like it. I don't feel like serving her. I don't feel like loving him. I don't feel like being in this marriage. Where in your life can you get away with that statement? I mean, imagine us saying, you know, I just don't feel like feeding the baby. I just don't feel like going to work. Yeah, let me know how long you have a job. I don't feel like paying my taxes. We all feel like that in New York, but let me know how you get around it. But if you do, really, let me know. Where in the world can we get away with that? Our feelings lie to us. We have to get over them. Because your marriage isn't measured by your feelings. It's measured by your commitment. Remember that day where you stood looking in the girl or the guy that you loved and you said, God, I'm in this. This is a partnership and I'm committed to it. Just because you don't feel love doesn't mean you give up. I'm gonna say that again. Just because you don't feel the love in your marriage doesn't give you an excuse to give up. Getting divorced because you don't feel love is like selling your car because it ran out of gas. Doesn't make sense. But what do you do when your car runs out of gas? You fill it up. And what do you do when your marriage runs out of love? You fill it up. And when it gets empty again, you fill it up. You work at it. You fight for love. You fight for forgiveness. And you fill your marriage up. Today, I'm challenging you. Husbands and wives, fight for your partnership and fill your marriage up. Because when we protect the priorities. God is number one and your spouse is number two. And when we protect the partnership, we build a foundation 
that follows the path that God designed for marriage. And what that will do is set you up for a future healthy marriage. Let me pray for you. God, marriage isn't easy. It's hard, but I pray today that we would make the conscious choice to recognize that we are in a covenant, not a contract. And that it would be about our commitment, not our feelings. Help us get there today, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey, again, we wanna just say thank you for joining us here at Northridge Church. I know it's been a crazy season of a lot of uncertainty and hurt and pain. And man, as your pastor, as the lead pastor of this church, I just want you to know that we are here for you if you need to talk. We're here to connect with you. You can reach us by email. You can text connect to the number on the screen. We love you and we're here for you. We hope you have a fantastic day and we will see you next week.